Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, we have this assured, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Thank you, Sadie. If you're between the ages of four to the sec to the first grade, you're excused to kids' club, which means if you just finished the second grade, you get to stay here. So I will have some in that group. So while we wait for those to, to leave, and while we have some that have stayed put, I want to invite those who finished the second grade, who are staying here for the first time, if I could convince you to come sit on this first row for just a second. I just need you for a second. I only have a couple of you. And I need my friend Elijah Buer to come help me out. I just have one? I might. Oh, you don't have to say I was going to put you over here, but you're good. Will, I get to talk to you. First, welcome to the sanctuary. We're glad you're here. I know, I know. But we are glad that you guys get to stay here for this part of the service. We think it's really, really important. And to help you be comfortable with it, we want to give you a couple of tools to help you be successful, okay? The first of which is a sermon notes sheet. I give these to you because you can, anyone can actually pick these up. There are tables at both entrances because they're helpful to help you kind of pay attention. There's some little things where you can write in some little aspects and fill out little parts of it. And oftentimes they get discussed in trailblazers. And as a note to parents... Uh, these are great discussion conversations that you can have with your kids on your way home. The second thing I want to give to you, this is equally as important, is a blow pop. You will find a blow pop can be helpful because it will help you, give you something to do, it can help you concentrate a little bit. Uh, this week I'm providing these two things. Next week you get to bring your own blow pop, okay? Cool. If, uh, you can go back to your seat if you want. If anyone else, if I've got any other kids here who need a blow pop for the service, Elijah would love to bring you one. So if you'd raise your hand, any child of any age, I've got about nine of them left. See, Dan Edwards is a child. He'd like one. So you've got to take him to him. That's your job now. For the next couple of minutes, may, be careful about throwing them. I did that last year and got in trouble. Parents, I also want to forewarn you. Oh, there are lots of hands over here, Elijah. I also want to forewarn you that if we, if you have a second grader who's going to start being in this service, this week is a good example where the first Sunday of the month when we have communion, you need to be aware of that. Uh, some of you, those kids would not have been in here for communion service. I just want to forecast that to you so you can take a couple moments to decide whether or not that's something you think is appropriate for them to do or not. We can have a conversation about that later. So... This morning, we're starting our summer series, a series that I've entitled, My Anchor Holds. This phrase comes from the hymn, The Solid Rock, which is also called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. You find it both ways, depending on your hymnal. But these are the words of the second verse of that hymn, written in the 1800s by an English pastor named Edward Mote. This is what he says, don't worry, I won't sing it. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. 
In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Thanks, Elijah. Moat paints a picture for us, one that will be painted throughout the book of Psalms, that there will be times in this life when darkness veils his lovely face, that we'll all have seasons when we don't see God, when we don't feel him, when we don't sense his presence. And Edward Mote, like a good psalmist, encourages you in those times to find your strength and to find your hope, not in your circumstances or in your situation, or in the potential of your circumstances or situation being resolved, but rather to find your strength, to find your hope in the character of God, to trust who he is rather than what you're in. The hymn continues, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, that even when the wind picks up, even when it's stormy, And it's happening, right? There are lots of you that I talk to on a regular basis who are sharing storms that you're going through, whether those are personal, whether they're professional and job-related, whether they're financial, whether they're relational, whether it's marriage stress, whether it's your parents who are struggling, whether it's your kids that are struggling. There are so many of us who are in this place of feeling a stormy gale. My anchor holds within the veil. Edward Mote points us to a passage in Hebrews 6, a passage that we're going to dig into in a little bit because it's rich and it's deep. But we need to be reminded of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, when Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, that truth stands out to us because Jesus forecasts for us that there will be storms, there will be tribulations. A fact, again, that many of you can attest to. And our hope is not nicer weather, and our hope is not peace. Our hope is that Christ has overcome the world. That's our hope. Our hope is that we are anchored to the one who has overcome the world. And that's what Edward Mote in his hymn is pointing us to. So friends, as we walk into this series, My Anchor Holds, we will spend our summer looking at specific psalms that will serve to anchor us, psalms that will teach us and remind us that though we have tribulation, he has overcome the world that our anchor in Jesus Christ will hold. The book of Psalms is one of my most favorite because they're prayers to God written from God, which is to say that if you struggle and you find in the book of Psalms words that declare that struggle, God's clearly okay with it because he inspired them. He actually encourages you at times to speak your doubts. He encourages you to speak your frustrations through this book. And we'll find that as we walk through the book of Psalms, and yet they don't resolve in frustration. They resolve in the character of God. And that will be our hope as we move into this, that our anchor will hold. 
And so to help us be reminded of that, I am asking all of us, every one of us, to memorize Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. That's our theme verse for the summer, as you've already heard, as Sadie read or memorized and gave us. Every message in this series will begin with a different person reciting this truth from Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. And Lord willing, 13 more of you will send me an email suggesting your willingness to do so. Because it is a truth that speaks to all of us, whether young or old, and it's that truth that we have an anchor and our anchor will hold that thematically will tie all of these messages together. So this morning, as we start our series, it is fitting that Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 would be our passage. So turn with me there. I want you to know as we're starting in Hebrews 6 that we're in the middle of a book. And that, in fact, we're in the middle of a chapter of a book, so we'll give you a little bit of context at least enough to know that the main theme of the book of Hebrews is the call to persevere in the faith. That very reality that life's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, and you'll be tempted to to stray. You see that throughout the book of Hebrews. There's warnings against straying as if these Jewish people had given their lives to Christ were going to run back to Judaism thinking it was a, a better covenant. And this author is warning, though, stick with Jesus Christ, he is supreme. And so when we come to the first part of Hebrews 6, it ends this way. The first 12 verses say, 11 and 12 says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance of hope until the end. That's that perseverance he's calling you to. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. What the author of Hebrews, writing to a Hebrew people, wants to do is to point them to an example of those who inherited the promise so that they would have an answer to the question, how do we persevere? How do we endure hardship? And he points them to Abraham, who received a promise from God and clung to it. He pointed them to the highest authority that they would get, that they would understand, the best example they would know. He points them to Abraham, So let's pick it up in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now he's writing to the Hebrews, these Jewish people who instantly would have picked up the context out of Genesis. I'm going to spell it out for you. That God first made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, telling him he would make him a great nation, in effect, telling him he would have many offspring, he'd have a lot of kids. In Genesis 15, God again meets with Abraham, and Abraham expresses to God that he doesn't have any kids. You haven't met your promise. And God reiterates this promise to Abraham, telling him, And calling him to go outside to count the stars and telling him that have more family than all the stars in the sky. He reiterates this promise to him. I'm still consistent with you. And then again in chapter 17, after Abraham had waited a long time, 
God reiterated the promise again. And in chapter 22, Isaac is born when Abraham is at least 100 years old, having waited at least 25, maybe 30 years for the fulfillment of that promise. Now, if you lean into the story of Abraham, you got to think as a 75-year-old man to be promised kids is iffy. And at 76, it gets more iffy. And at 77, it got more iffy. And at 78, I could keep going. But God was a promise keeper. He made a promise to Abraham, and he would keep it. And you might even remember that after that promise, in fact, later in chapter 22 in Genesis, God tests Abraham and calls him with his son Isaac to take him up onto a mountain and to sacrifice him. The thing that I that Abraham had waited more than 25 years for, God says, do you treasure that more than me? And Abraham, willing to put everything before the Lord, takes a long hike to a mountain far away and takes a long hike up a mountain, trusting God, trusting the promise of God, even when he didn't understand what was going on. And then you might remember that the Lord provided a sacrificial lamb on that mountain. And so when the Lord speaks to Abraham again, this is what he says in Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, this is the language we find in Hebrews 6, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as of the sand in the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. What you see here is that God, who's made a promise to Abraham and then reiterated the promise and then reiterated the promise and then reiterated the promise, now makes an oath. I swear to you by myself on the highest authority that could exist himself, that I will do that which I've promised you. This is the story that the author of Hebrews is pointing us to. So that in verse 15 of Hebrews 6, it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God did what he said he was going to do. He did it. God kept his promises, past tense, And God keeps his promises, present tense. Verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchanging character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now listen to those words. When God desired to show more convincingly, God had already promised, and he'd already swore, but he wants to show you more convincingly. He wants you to be utterly convinced that this promise he's made, that the heirs of the promise would understand his unchanging character, that he's consistent that they would know the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things 
in which it is impossible for God to lie. Let's pause for a second. What the author of the book of Hebrews is doing here is he's looking back at the story of Abraham as an example for us of waiting and trusting God. There's two things here that are substantial for us. One is that God keeps his word. The other one is that we might have to be really, really patient about that. It's funny the context we live in. People tend to have this idea, well, God told me I should do this, but I should have it now. Well, I want this now. Why can't I have it now? And yet God called Abraham to wait as many as 25, probably longer than that, And so he puts this example before us, not only to see God's unchangeable character, but also the call to patience. That we would have to trust God in the midst of all of these things. And it rested on two things. These two unchangeable things, according to the author. First, that God made a promise. See again, Genesis 12, 15, 17, etc., And that God reinforced it with an oath. We read that from Genesis 22. And so then he moves to give us the purpose of the example in the end of verse 18. We need to start leaning in more here. So that, end of verse 18, we who have fled for refuge, talking about the Hebrews, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Friends, what he is writing to these Hebrew people is that if they would look at the example of Abraham, of God's consistency of his character, the nature of who he is, his promise keeping, and his inability to lie, and that they would be emboldened by that, that it would be a strong encouragement to them, that they would hold fast and cling to the hope that was set before them. That they would cling to Jesus Christ. That they would find their hope in Jesus Christ. That they would hold on that. And that brings us to verse 19. The very verses that I'm asking to have before us all summer. Verses that are honestly really complex but really wealthy. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Friends, what we find in these two verses is an illustration that the author pulls from first and second century nautical life. He wants them to have this boating picture before them of their faith. This is what he tells them. In the midst of a storm a ship would look to enter into a harbor to drop its anchor. That that would be its protection. That would be its security. Now, if this ship were unable to enter into the harbor, it would send a small boat 
Often that boat was called a forerunner, interestingly enough. And the forerunner would go ahead of the boat into the safety that the ship could not find. The boat would go into the safety and drop the anchor for the ship that's still in the midst of the storm. So he's giving you this nautical picture of a ship that can't quite make it to safety, but sends a smaller boat, a forerunner, beforehand with an anchor to take it to the safety it needs and it requires so that it is in fact anchored, though it's still in a storm. Do you see the extraordinary picture he's painting for you in the midst of these verses? The ship is secure. It will be safe. That Jesus Christ has gone before us as a forerunner, as a little boat on our behalf. And when he died and when he resurrected and when he ascended back into heaven, he goes before us into the very presence of God. That's what it means when he says the inner place behind the curtain. He's putting before you this imagery of the holy of holies. That Jesus Christ has gone through into the harbor. He's gone into the very presence of God. And he has taken our sure and steadfast anchor. That we are anchored then... Not in the problems of this world, not in the challenges, not in the temptations, not in all that which we find totally overcoming or overwhelming. No, we're anchored in the presence and the character and the nature of our God. So that we would forever have hope. We would forever have hope, knowing that regardless of what you walk through, regardless of how high the waves get, or how much the wind blows, or how much teetering your ship feels, you're tethered to the Almighty. You're anchored to God. It's the Hebrews 4 passage been read to us. They were able to enter into the throne room of God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're called to enter into it with, with boldness. Because we're tethered. We're anchored into His presence. And that, that's our hope. That's what the Hebrews wants to put before us in this passage. You should know that this is the end of chapter 6 before he gets on to the, I want to now give you some meat to chew on. This is an elementary teaching he's trying to put before them to recognize their anchoring and to know that they're anchored through Jesus Christ to the Father. Friends, if we study out this Hebrews 6 passage, it testifies to some extraordinary things for us. The first of which is this. That our God is a great God. 
And he's a promise keeper. And he's been faithful to all the generations. Now the Israelites, the Hebrew people would have picked that up. They would have looked at Abraham and said, yeah, man, God is faithful. Those are our people. But most of us are Gentiles, right? We're, most of us don't have a lick of Hebrew blood in us. So I can point to Abraham and you go, oh, that's a, a guy in the Old Testament, isn't it? And to that, I would just encourage you to sit down and talk to some people who are a little older than you and ask them about God's faithfulness. Because I assure you, the testimony you'd hear back from many around you would be that God has been consistently faithful in their lives. I got an amen, at least one. That you may not always understand what's going on in your life. You may not always see God's purpose of what's happening in your life. But at some point you'll be like, whoa, I get it. Hey, God, I didn't even understand why you're doing that then. I was so angry. I was so frustrated. I was so hurt. But now I can see how you've redeemed that in me. It took me 40 years to see that. It took me 25 years to see that. It took me 10 years to see that. That in the midst of a storm, you'll never see its purpose. And even after, you may not. But we are to be built up, we are to be fortified by the faithfulness of God told in the stories of other people. He points them to Abraham. We can still be built up, encouraged, and fortified by God's faithfulness in the lives of believers. And we should be. Because it is to this God, this promise-keeping God that we're anchored to. It's this consistent God who's been faithful to those people who will be faithful to you. And that's the truth we need to cling to. That's the truth we need to anchor ourselves on. Because that's what an anchor is. It's a consistent thing. It's heavy, it's weighty, it does its job. It's the character of our God. And the second truth we could pull from this passage, and we can't miss this. We especially can't miss this as Americans. That trusting his promises... And holding on to his character will demand patience. We don't like that word. We don't like that word at all. He points to Abraham on purpose. And I can look at Abraham and recognize that some 25 years he waited And I could point to Sarah. And I can't imagine what she went through as a woman trying to get pregnant. And I can't imagine what a woman she went through trying to get pregnant and then being told she was going to be pregnant and still having to wait 25 years. And I can't imagine putting my boy on a donkey, trusting all the while that God was going to give me an heir and was going to be consistent and faithful. And he's asking me to give up even the thing that I've so desperately desired that I believe he's put in my hand and now I've got to hand it back? Like what in the world? 
Hebrews 11, by the way, would testify that Abraham did it with the full knowledge that even if he sacrificed his son, God would be faithful to resurrect him. Now that's an anchor. Friends, we are called to be anchored to the truth. And we're to be reminded that that anchor might take a long time. That God will always, always, always keep his promises. But it may not always come in your timing. So as we walk through this series and we enter into the book of Psalms to see things like our God is our refuge and our strength in Psalm 46. We're to be reminded of who he is. We're to be reminded of this truth of who he is and how we're to be live in spite of that. You see that the rest of Psalm 46 is the psalmist gives you series after series of how they live in spite of that truth. We'll walk through the Psalms to see the nature and the character of God calling us to be anchored to who he is as we walk through storms in hopes that as your life, you taste and feel suffering and struggling as we all do and will that we'll have some tools in our tool belt to deal with it. That we'll be called back into the Psalms to pray the very words of God that they could be our anchor. For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone forever on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being over all things, everything. Father, I don't always know and can't see what's before me. My boat shakes more than I wish that it did. Thank you that you are a consistent God. And that in your consistency and in the consistency of your love for us, you sent your son to die on a cross to defeat sin so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he was resurrected, giving me new life. Thank you that he was ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father anchoring me into your presence, that I'd be forever tethered to the faithful one. I'd be forever tethered to the consistent one. That I could be anchored in your presence. Father, would you allow us to hold on, to hold fast to these truths, despite the suffering and the storms and the waves that I know many of us are enduring. Let us hold on to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.